Welcome to Building the Base, a unique discussion focused on shaping our future national security industrial base during this pivotal time in our nation's history. For over 40 years, the nonprofit organization Business Executives for National Security, or BENS for short, has brought senior executives and best business practices from across our country together to address our nation's most pressing security challenges. The BENS mission is more important now than ever before. BENS is embarking on a historic project, gathering the best ideas and minds together to define the future industrial base that the United States will need to remain secure and prosperous for our future. And now you have the chance to be a part of it. It's a daunting task, a task the United States has not had to do at this scale since World War II. But it's also a historic opportunity, an opportunity to leverage new technologies, new business models, new ideas, and new voices to improve our country for the decades to come. Hear from top entrepreneurs and leaders from high tech, financial, industrial, and public sectors as they share their ideas and perspectives about how we can all work better together to ensure our national security and prosperity. We are excited to have you here with us. Here to begin today's episode, your hosts, longtime Benz member and leader of the Benz Technology and Innovation Council, Lauren Vadula, and former chief weapons buyer and innovator for special operators, sailors, and Marines, and now Benz distinguished fellow, Hondo Gertz. Hey, welcome everybody to Building the Base, a podcast we're designing around to have the discussion about what industrial base we need for the next 50 to 70 years. It's been a topic that's talked about a lot, but not a lot has actually been done about it. Our, uh, our goal is to have the discussion with some thought leaders and actually move to action. And recent conflicts have shown us that it's far past the time that we need to move out on this. And, uh, and so I'm happy to be here with my awesome co-host, Lauren. And the two of us are gonna find the most interesting people around. I think you're gonna hear one of them here in a sec to talk about this, uh, you know, what could be a dry topic, but actually there's nothing more important than our national security and national prosperity. And so we welcome everybody here. It's our inaugural recording, St. Patrick's Day 2022, <laughs> post-COVID, and uh, we're ready to roll. So over to my awesome co-host, Lauren. Thanks, Hondo. Um, yes, as, as Hondo said, we're so excited um, to kick this off. This is a, a topic that's top of mind, I know, for, for Hondo and myself, but so many others. And um, I, I don't think there could be a better guest to to help us kick this off than Sean Modi, who's here today with us. And and you'll hear more about him as we talk through his story and, and background. But Sean brings with him experience from, you know, so many aspects of Silicon Valley, uh, including very early days at Airbnb. He also um, spent time at Google and, and NASA and uh, moved his family here to D.C. because he's so enthusiastic about supporting national security missions. So we wanted to kind of pick at that today to see um, what this means for trends in, in terms of the future of workforce and talent and collaboration between um, tech innovators and in, in the national security community. So super excited to, to jump in. Hondo, I'll hand All it right. Welcome, to you. Sean. Thank you for having me. Hey, buddy. Um, you know, everybody's got an interesting story. I think your story is one of the more interesting stories. Can you give us a sense kind of of the arc of how you got from where you started to getting here? And, uh, you know, what's that journey been like and what, what have you been taken from? What have you taken from it along the way? Boy, well, uh, it's a great question. Um, and again, thanks for having me. Uh, so I started my career um, studying industrial design. 
at Rhode Island School of Design, some know it as, as RISD. And uh, what designers do, we create products that are feasible, meaning they can be manufactured, viable in the marketplace, and desirable. But they got to look good, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, um, starting there, uh, got an internship at NASA where I was working on long-term survivability on the moon. Uh, we would, should have had that base by now, but uh, that's what really gave me my first exposure to emerging technologies and human factors and, and design. Um, I went on to work at Motorola Enterprise Mobility Business, which uh, where I was designing rugged mobile computers and, and software systems for customers like FedEx, UPS, uh, the Army, and uh, then was recruited to join Google. And I moved out west from the East Coast, uh, where, boy, it was a really unique time. I actually joined uh, Larry and Sergey's first um, PhD thesis project that they kept alive. It's called SideWiki, which was a browser extension for social annotation of websites on the Internet. Uh, and I uh, got to work directly with, with Larry and Sergey, um, and it was a very flat organization. Uh, and uh, as one does in Silicon Valley, I got the itch to start a company. So um, with a product manager from Chrome, or what was called Chrome OS at the time, uh, started a, a visual search engine. And around then was a really unique time in Silicon Valley because, and the Bay Area because you had companies like Pinterest, Dropbox, Uber, Airbed and Breakfast, Airbnb uh, coming, really growing. Um, So my buddies from RISD, uh, Joe and Brian, uh, are two of the three co-founders, and they recruited me to join as one of the earliest employees at at Airbnb. And that was an incredible journey uh, where, you know, we changed the world. Uh, And it's a product that's in every country in the world except for North Korea and Iran. Uh, we'd be there too if, if the government would let us. But, uh, and, uh, you know, since then I, I started a design firm um, and launched over 70 products. It was an incredible journey. And I started working with the Department of Defense uh, during 2020. And that's where I just fell in love with the mission. And I met smart folks like, like you all. Uh, and um, I was inspired to start another company. And this time it's a product company and we've raised venture capital. I'm excited to to come out of stealth mode in the next 60 days here. But uh, that's a a bit of my journey. I'm happy to lean into any areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to double click on Airbnb because I I hardly remember life before it because I rely so heavily on it. And I think it just changed the way we do so much of what we do um, nowadays when it comes to travel. And and so as such a disruptive company, um, I'm sure it wasn't always smooth, right? So we know you made your mark really as an early leader there. But could you tell us about those early days and what lessons you learned that really shaped you since? Yeah, well... Yeah, gosh, there's so there's so much. Well, the power of design um, and, and how it can have a measurable impact on a business. That's really what I took away there. Uh, you know, Airbnb could be perceived as a low cost alternative for hotels for college kids. But we it was not one silver bullet. It was thousands of decisions that we made to create a trusted platform um, from finding your desired location within a city to then finding that particular property to then showing up to a stranger's house and, and checking in and ensuring it's safe and clean and expectations are met. And then, uh, you know, exchange of money in, in, a, in a trusted um, and reliable way. So really, the, the early days were, were about understanding user needs, understanding the business needs and crafting a user experience that was elegant, that uh, could accomplish all these things. Uh, and it was it was a, a culture where you could come up with an idea and actually ship it. Right. Many bureaucracies, you you. you you can spend a year working on one little drop-down menu. I won't. I won't name names of, of companies where that's the case. But at Airbnb, there there was a openness to trying new radical things and thinking outside the box. And also, I would say, design was given um, authority to to have a say. 
at, at many uh, organizations, design is an afterthought, right? Once the engineers already do all their work, then it's about making it look pretty. Um, Airbnb has designed this as a first principle in everything they do. So, so, but I assume your design training was not in software. And so how did you, how did you transfer those skills of what's probably an abstract, make a box look nice to software? How did, how did you go through that mental transformation? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, cause industrial design is the design of physical products, right? It could be shoes. It could be a, a desktop, a, a laptop computer, a mobile phone. Um, well, I coded websites as a kid. Um, I, I loved writing HTML and CSS, um, but I, you know, I didn't go that deep into it. So I had, you know, experience with, you know, the interactivity and the, and the speed of deploying uh, code. But I, I self-taught, I forced myself to learn how to be a UX designer. And um, I, I would say Google was really the place where I flexed those muscles and I had the freedom and great mentorship from, from my manager, who's now an advisor to my company who led design for Google. Um, uh, yeah, so I was just forcing myself to, d- to learn it and just do it. Get after yeah, that's it. awesome. Yeah. Hey, so Sean, you're one of this, what I would say is an emerging set, maybe a pioneer in this major mark in commercial industry, but now pivoting to national security. Uh, can you tell me a little bit of what's kind of that motivation to make that pivot and kind of what are you learning in that? And do you sense that's a, you're, you're one of one or one of many or, or, you know, what are, what things do you think will help other very talented people like yourself find national security a um, fruitful place to put their talent? Yeah, well, you know, I had I I had the privilege of um, spending a lot of time with my grandfather. Um, So every summer we'd get in the family station wagon and drive from New Jersey to Washington, D.C. or Fairfax, Virginia. Um, And, you know, he served for four presidents uh, as the uh, chief uh, executive officer, the chief of staff of the President's Science Advisory Committee and uh, under Dwight D. Eisenhower all the way through Nixon. And um, he helped develop programs like the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Program, the Nuclear Launch ICBM Program, the commercialization of radiation for for cancer therapy, um, the highway system. So uh, having him share his passion for serving the country and also his expertise, it was uh, imbued in me from a very young age. But, you know, I I went private sector and it wasn't until 2020 when... um, you know, we had a, an opportunity to work with the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center under Lieutenant General Shanahan, Non Malchandani, uh, Colonel, now General Kinney, uh, where I saw, whoa, we can do better as a country. The software that we're giving our frontline warfighters is not good enough. And there's a, there's a security risk here. And, and I found a small cadre of folks that wanted to make change. And um, I'm proud to say I still work with those folks to this day. Um, so. I guess in short, for me, it's about making sure we have a safe country and we lead in the world and, and, and uh, we are the beacon for freedom and democracy. I think in terms of the other folks like us, they're out there. Um, they just need to be made aware of what these pain points are um, and, and areas where we can can make uh, improvements for, for national security, specifically when it comes to software. But acquisition is very hard. So many of the entrepreneurs like me stay away from it because investors are not um that interested in long acquisition cycles. Mm-hmm. I, I love Sean hearing you talk about your grandfather and, and those stories, because I know so many of us in this space um, are here because of stories like those. And your grandfather reminds me a lot of mine who served in world war two and grew up during the great depression. And, and again, the reason we're here today is to think through the future of our industrial base, because it, it feels like we're at this pivot as we think through peer near peer competition 
Um, and I always kind of hesitate when I use near peer because I think when we talk Russia, China, you know, very much peer in, in cases like around national security and technology. Um, but so much of our country's security and prosperity are directly linked to the industrial base that grew out of World War II. And, and it's stories like that that remind us of this. And as we look to the future, it's become really clear that we need to build the industrial base that'll help us maintain both our security and prosperity and not over rely on one from the past. And I know you appreciate kind of your experiences and prosperity that you've um, kind of encountered in Silicon Valley and are here now because you're so passionate about mission. Um, So wanted to get your take on ideas to approach this challenge of this future industrial base yeah how, so the question is how do we activate an industrial base yeah so i mean that's that's the million dollar question um well one is more entrepreneurs and people that are building technologies need to talk to the warfighter need to talk to analysts from and 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 also the program offices so they actually understand what the requirements are what user needs are so if there's a way we can start to open the kimono a bit in a way that doesn't reveal state secrets or anything, but allow analysts to talk to to product developers, engineers. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, work with Northcom, uh, the analysts there, and that's where, whoa, I I learned so much, this wealth of knowledge of how they do their work, how they how they evaluate long range aviation threats, how they evaluate threats at sea, how do they model COVID data and supply chain data? Um, that that was illuminating. So if we want more companies to participate, access to user needs, right? Um, another another piece is the funding, right? Um, venture capitalists looking at DOD as a viable um, um, you know market uh, and segment. I think that will, by nature, create a, a market dynamic that it gets more people participating in it. And then you know the other piece is um, acquisition, right? So if you know, Cyber is a great thing, direct to phase two is really meaningful. Um, doubling down and, and kind of sanding down the rough edges off that, um, I think would would certainly create a more uh, dynamic environment. Yeah, Sean, I mean, we all remember kind of the Google moment, I would say, of, you know, artificial intelligence. And and oftentimes you hear folks from the Valley sometimes apologize for that. And I actually thought it was a very useful moment because I think it caused us to reflect really, you know, what does it mean for us all to work together for security and prosperity? And, and I fully uh, recognize, uh, having been on the other side, all the friction points of the acquisition system and whatnot. Do you sense, though, a trend maybe accelerated by even the, the recent conflicts that more folks are interested in ensuring that we've got security and prosperity and willing to help, even if it's not necessarily the most juicy of return targets? I mean, do you, I, I get this sense now that we're starting to all pull together and leverage the unique talents, not kind of fight the unique talents. Is that the trend you're sensing from your buddies in uh, in the Valley or wherever else kind of innovation is occurring in the country? Absolutely. Um, and, and for me personally, you know, this is not about the money. It's about the mission, right? So we're, we're focused for, with my, my current company uh, on private sector as our, our primary, you know, customer base. DOD, I see this is a labor of love for me because I, I you know, I live in this country and my family does and, and we care. Certainly Ukraine has has changed the sentiment of people that I've spoken to personally who really were ambivalent about the defense. Now they realize it's a vital aspect of our overall way of life. 
And uh, they have no choice but to participate if they want to live in a free and open world. So I am seeing that in a big way. I am seeing more technologists step up to want to help the Ukrainians um, and, and the overall you know, defense of the country. So question is, then, how do we how do we amplify that and nurture that? Um, so, yeah, we can lean into that if you like. I, I love that topic because as we think through kind of the future of in the industrial base, talent plays a key role here. And technology will take us in so many directions, but at the end of the day, innovation is a human endeavor. And, and so I know talent and workforce issues are top of mind for leaders across the national security community, but really across the tech sector too. And we, we often refer to Silicon Valley, but when we do that, we're not just limiting it to that part of the country. It's really thinking through, there are all these different innovation hubs. You talked about the culture at Airbnb, which Honda, I'm curious too for your reaction, because I know you've, you've built teams and, and you've tried to foster disruptive cultures, but at the end of the day, getting these two communities together, just culturally, there are some differences that you know, you're know you seeing, we've all worked through. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, Sean, along the lines of, of talent and the future of industrial base, like how can we continue to develop and leverage what the nation has? It's, it's not necessarily fighting over employees and talent, but how do we work together to really foster that workforce piece? Yeah, well, I should say, you know, Silicon Valley is now countrywide. COVID turned it on its head because everyone, you know, moved to the country or, you know, the you know, be around nature. So you're not cooped up in your small apartment in Knob Hill or wherever, maybe in San Francisco or, <laughs> or pay exorbitant, you know, rents and mortgages in, in, in the Bay Area. Look, the Bay is a very special place, but really, you know, our company is based in New York, D.C., we're, we're distributed. And most most tech companies, they're going to go that way. So that's the good news for, I think, um, the, the, def- the defense industrial base. Uh, we're not overly concentrated in just the Bay Area. Um, now, there are pros and cons of that. Like there's nothing like getting together in a room and and working through a problem. So we will need to, we get together once a month as a full team. That's how we we solve for that. But um, I think when we when when we want to inspire people to serve, it has to come from the top, right? So if our leaders in in Department of Defense said, "Hey, startups, s- small companies, seed stage, Series A, Series B, we want to work with you," and they said that in, in a very formal way, it would it would be noticed. Um, so I think it's that's pretty low hanging fruit um, to get to get more people aware that, that this is a, is a viable option. I think culturally, I learned this. Like how to brief a commander. I mean, I was briefed on how to brief several times just to brief. Right. Uh, so I do think there's there's going to have to be some training and I think some forgiveness on both sides. Right. There is a chain. There's a chain of command. And in in startups, one of the, the beautiful parts about Airbnb and Google, which it retained, was how flat that organization was. Sergey literally came to my my uh, desk one day to test out the circle editor we were building, logged in with his Gmail and uh, forgot to log out. And I didn't know that. So I go to the I go to check my email and I see Richard Branson, Sergey, Larry, and I logged out immediately. That's talking about a flat organization in a, in a DOD culture. It's not like you can go directly to the boss and go around that chain. But to create innovative software 
and, and tech solutions, you need that flexibility to share ideas. So that's something I think is going to have to be addressed in some way. Yeah, I think, you know, the first, you know, we often talk about the speed of trust, um, but you can't have trust if you don't have some respect and you can't have respect if you don't get to know each other, mm-hmm. right? It's really hard. You just, you'll talk past each other. You, you won't even know how to collaborate if you're, there's no context behind it. And so I think we're getting there, but boy, we're that's something to do at scale. I mean, we've got, you know, I'm sure you're tired of the San Francisco Bay tourists from the military and, you know, there's, I would say, tourism, but we haven't yet got to a systemic level of trust where that trust is established before you need it. I'm hoping that, you know, many times in conflict or crisis is a way to drive what would naturally not occur at, at, at speed or scale. And so I'm, I'm hoping that will be there. What about on the new talent perspective? So for the new generation coming up, you know, I'm, I'm the super old guy. You're now, you're almost kind of the old guy. Lauren's still young. Uh, she's ever young. But um, do you think, um, the, do you think we've made it clear on kind of the, the opportunities there are to serve, you know, without, you know, serving the nation doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in uniform. You can serve the nation as a talented programmer, or you can serve it as a startup. Do you think we've made that case yet? Or do you have maybe ideas on how we could make that case so that folks coming out of wherever they're coming out of, you know, schools or whatever, understand the opportunities there are to serve in the the country in many different ways, not just in uniform or not just in a startup. Yeah. um, I I mean, we could definitely do better. Right. And I mean, what Department of Defense is the largest employer in the United States. Right. Um, That's a big organization. And what's remarkable is that there's all these agencies within it that most people are not aware of, like the Defense Logistics Agency or DHA, the Defense Health Agency. So to get people aware of these things, the people that work in these organizations need to find a way to socialize with young engineers, young designers, young product people. So that can be a concerted effort at universities where there's actual like mixers, um, you know, kind of requirement of government leaders to go speak and, and engage publicly so that there's awareness of what these unique problem points are. I think open sourcing data sets could be really powerful as well from a, a tech perspective. So providing, um, you know, of course, not non-secret data, but something that young minds can start to play with and tinker with and, and learn from that because um, really data is the lifeblood of all software applications and the DOD is sitting on a ton of data. So if you want people to start building on it, we got to open source it and get it out there. I think it's spot on and and we could spend the whole podcast kind of talking through how to encourage more folks to serve or look for opportunities to serve through partnerships and NGOs. Um, And and I think more and more opportunities to collaborate are popping up too. I was just at South by Southwest last weekend and it's funny, five years ago, I don't think you'd catch very many folks from the national security community there, but they're now attracted because it's a good opportunity to collaborate with technology 
technology leaders and talent and vice versa. A lot of CEOs are attending because they want to meet with the national security community and talk about um, potential work together going forward. So it, it feels like we're at this sort of pivotal moment when you look back to 2018, when there was a lot of news around Google pulling out of DOD's Project Maven, which was um, in the early days of the Jake's efforts to leverage AI and computer vision to analyze video. And I think a big reason that happened, Honda, back to your point around trust and transparency, is there just wasn't this dialogue up front or we tried to kind of keep it in the back room or hide this work when really it's, you know, in the days of open source, when you're talking, Sean, about data, it's almost like the national security community is beat in terms of information we have. And um, I think that we've done a good job finding ways to collaborate around that sensitive information, but also come to the table together to talk about what exactly we're doing with this information and what we're trying to protect in terms of American interests abroad and really having that back and forth dialogue. And so along those lines, it really feels like the recent conflicts in Ukraine may be the first conflict in which really in more recent times, the commercial businesses will have a major role as they mobilize expertise and products to support Ukrainian people. And I think there's a real appreciation, too, when we see what's going on over there that just feels like it's in some ways out of the blue to your average citizen. Um, I know the national security community has been tracking this threat from Russia for a while now, but it feels like a, a huge wake up call. So while it's still early in this conflict, curious if you're seeing anything, you know, in terms of lessons we're, we're learning to inform how we think about the na- nation's future industrial base. Like what is this pivot from really counterterrorism as a top priority to Russia, China, yeah. near peer competition mean? Topic is definitely an interest of mine. So one thing I say, Airbnb, um, you know, what they did to open up 100,000 rooms for refugees is extraordinary. Uh, 10,000 in Poland alone and growing. Um, And that shows a tech company that's able to deal with an international crisis um, at scale with high leverage um, and doing the right thing for people Um, and and government needs to nurture that. Right. Um, And and get on TV and say, hey, you know, citizens, please host more refugees. Um, So that that's one promising thing that I saw that was just immediate and visceral in terms of the, the Russia China threat. I mean, we're in the AI age, right? And of course, there's you know freedom of navigation. I mean, this is out, outside my pay grade, Hondo. You're the you're the expert, but making sure that we have control of the seas and and uh, openness of the seas, and, and especially in the South China Sea. So on the hardware side, maybe I'll let you you all speak to that. But on the software side, um, whoever whoever achieves quantum supremacy and AI supremacy will be the superpower in the century, full stop. And how do you get there? The quantum aside, with the data piece. It's about building these machine learning models on top of data and who's collecting the most data, mm-hmm. the, the PRC, right? So we need to figure out a way where we can give access to data at scale in a way that respects our civil liberties so we can build these amazing AI applications. And that is a whole of government infrastructure layer. Then the private sector can, can build on top of that. So I think um, first step, DOD should be running on cloud. And I'm talking like AWS or, or GCP. Um, that's that makes it easy for companies to start to participate and support. Because otherwise, if you're doing only on-prem deployments of your of your of your code, it's it's laborious and it's slow, and, it, and we won't be able to keep speed, um, especially with with China, which is which is my concern. Yeah. So I think Sean, your idea of what are these critical enablers, right? How do we create? How does the DoD create a platform? 
that allows us to all work together. Because if, you know, every company's got to fight their way in and spend years getting, creating relationships, finding the data, getting the trust. I mean, we're just going to be irrelevant in terms of the cycle time. I really, I really like that idea. And I think, you know, a little bit back to one of your earlier points, um, you know, it's, it's interesting as, as we're sitting here on recording this on St. Patrick's Day, uh, you and I actually met over one or maybe more than one uh i don't know what the plural of Guinness is maybe it's genai yeah and uh, we hadn't met each other um and you kind of contacted me out of the blue um but you weren't afraid to engage and even though we hadn't met each other i mean we had a fascinating couple hour discussion and and it really was uh i would say a positive impact on me how do you mentor other folks about this need to engage and not and do so in lots of different ways, not just in a kind of formal briefing, because you know, if we circle back to that, you know, to get trust, you need to, you know, have some understanding and to get understanding, you need to engage authentically. Uh, you know, you really struck me yeah, of getting out of your own comfort zone and and a thirst for knowledge and and not being you know afraid to, to engage. How do you how do you think about it personally and maybe how do you recommend both sides, you know, on the on the government side and the uh, uh, the the whole of industry engage more fruitfully if we're going to make some progress here. Yeah, well, that conversation was amazing. I'm having flashbacks. I remember we talked about. I I, I think we were talking about my one of my dream bucket list projects in life was to design. Uh, the workflow for a submariner. So a day in the life and how do you make a submariner more effective at his or her job? Uh, and we also talked about um, logistics and efficiencies of how to build an aircraft carrier <laughs> uh, and how to build two at once. So that was a, that was a fun conversation. We need to do that again. Um, but uh, gosh, the, the, that was, that was incredible. What we, Ben's is a great start business executives for national security. That's the, best group I've joined personally, not, of course, I'm going to give a plug for this, but it really has been illuminating, um, especially under Jenna Votel's leadership. Um, the trips that we take, the, the conversations, that is such a great form factor. We should just scale that up in a big, big way. Uh, I, it's one of the most valuable memberships I've, I've personally been part of. So um, maybe more groups like Ben's, maybe there's a Ben's just for uh, software people, maybe one's just for hardware. Um, so I think that's a, that's a, that's low hanging fruit from, from my perspective. I think, um, you know, going on base is a really unique experience and I've had the privilege of going on base a few times now, and it's so different than just doing a zoom. So I think if, if these base commanders, um, open, open the doors a bit to the tech community, that, that would, that would be cool. And it's, but logistically, of course there's security reasons, but one of the ones I, I visited, uh, 57th wing, uh, Nellis air force base. Wow. Like until I took that trip, I would never have thought about all the uh, unique technologies that need to be built for techniques, tactics and procedures, you know, training for for a modern Air Force. So those are those are a few low hanging fruits, I think. Um, Open, open more bases for demo nights. um, uh, Allow technologists to test their products with end users and amplify bends. (laughs) Your passion, Sean, for tackling this issue around collaboration is contagious and I think that's why we're so excited to kick this 
conversation and podcast off with you because um, it's, it's highlighting these stories, I think, that gets folks excited um, for more collaboration and, and cross-pollination. And a, a big takeaway I have here is, is around dialogue and this need for more trust and transparency, which I think we're seeing a ton of improvement around. And I know all of us want to, to help contribute to mission in that sense. And, and so the more dialogue we can have, the better and, and building out this community. And at the end of the day, I think a constant is we all like solving hard problems. When you talk about kind of what you did throughout your story here, your first conversation with Hondo is solving hard problems, right? And yeah, and you know, it's the, first of all, on my team, I give exposure to the conversations I'm having so that they learn and they're like, whoa, this is, this is, this is inspiring stuff. And uh, the, the most successful kind of relationships are the ones where, you know, someone on the DOD side or government side, they actually are interested in taking the calls and they do so, you know, uh, on their own time, you know, and, and talk late at night uh, about their story and their challenges at their, their job. Uh, and that we need to scale those relationships. It's really a web of um, how do we get the folks that have spent their life serving this country to really mentor the private sector folks on what their needs are, what are the pain points and how they accomplish their job. Um, and then, then the, the, the conversation goes both ways. Um, so, you know, and I've been able to do that across pretty much all the services, um, but it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, if you look back to World War II, part of our competitive advantage, folk, folks look at the capital piece of the industrial base. They sometimes don't look at the speed of learning that was occurring in the late 1930s and that thirst for trying new things and learning and coming up with new systems. And the combination of that industrial base and a collaborative learning mindset, I think is really what allowed us to uh, adapt because, you know, we didn't come out of the gates, you know, on fire then. Um, my hope is through these kinds of dialogues, these partnerships, the great examples and a great example you are to the community about having the things. You know, I often talk about the three traits I admire most, which is, you know, curiosity to explore, you know, not just stay in Silicon Valley, but, you know, have curiosity what else is out there. Humility to learn your, your, you know, you, we, as we had the engagement, it wasn't Sean telling me how awesome he was about designing Airbnb. It was much more of a learning on both sides dialogue, but then frankly, uh, you know, I love dialogue, um, but I'm passionate about execution. And so then having the boldness to act and, and my hope for everybody listening out there is yes, get curious, listen to this, have your own ideas, learn from others. Don't believe you have all the answers, but then by gosh, start acting because we've been doing a lot of talking, uh, talking doesn't win wars. And so, uh, hopefully today, uh, you've enjoyed this conversation with, uh, what I, uh, I really believe strongly in is a new set of, you know, leaders in this blending of uh, technology and national security. Thanks, Lauren, for being an awesome co-host here and all the passion you bring in the in community here. And, and this, we hope, is uh, the first of a great many of these kind of frank dialogues. And uh, again, it's not all perfect. We got a long way to go, but, you know, uh, alone we're strong, together we're stronger. So... Thanks so much, Hondo and, and Sean, for being our first guest. I'm, I'm really excited to, to bring more folks like you to the table so we can think about how together we can really tackle this issue. So thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Time for a Guinness. Woo! You've been listening to Building the Base. 
a podcast from the Business Executives for National Security. Join hundreds of senior leaders and executives dedicated to the mission of keeping our nation safe. Check out our projects we're currently working with, important upcoming events, and the many ways you can get involved at www.bens.org.